The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the host and their guests and not those of W4CS Radio, its employees, or affiliates. W4CS makes no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Support Network on W4CS.com. Any health-related information on the following show provides general information only. Content presented on any show by any host or guest should not be substituted for a doctor's advice. Always consult your physician before beginning any new diet, exercise, or treatment program. Hello and welcome to 5 to Thrive Live, everyone. I'm Dr. Lisa Schuler, and I'm normally joined by my fabulous co-host, Carolyn Gazella, but she is not with us tonight. She's with her family, um, and as her father just had some major surgery, so it's just me and my two guests who I will introduce to you in a moment, and we have a great show coming up. And we're on a great, actually, record. We had a really interesting show last week with Dr. Fred Russo. He was talking about Chinese medicine and acupuncture as it relates to cancer care. And if you missed that show, no worries. As always, you can catch our past shows on iHeart.com. And just go there. If you've not already signed up, you'll just have to sign up and then search 5 to Thrive Live, and you'll find that show and all of our past shows. And also, we'd like to remind you that we have a chat room. And you are welcome to join tonight's conversation. Just click on W4CS Radio chat room in that list, and your question or comment will show up. I'll be looking for those throughout the show, and we'll be happy to convey that to our guests. So, again, happy to have you join us. And we uh, always thank our sponsors at the beginning of every show. Because we couldn't do this without our sponsors. Our sponsors are Cetria Glutathione, Cognizant Cytocholine, Sun Theanine, and Regular Girl. And we do appreciate our sponsors so very much. So tonight, we have a really important topic, something that, as it happens, both Carolyn and I are really quite passionate about. We've dedicated a lot of our own work to this area, and we're going to talk about cancer survivorship. And this is, I think, something that is increasingly becoming uh, very critical and uh, kind of in the awareness of oncology in general. There's been a lot of movement over the last five, ten years about creating recognition of this important phase of the cancer journey and a lot of hospital systems are responding and creating some very compelling, very interesting survivorship programs. And in fact, tonight we're going to learn about one of those very places at the forefront of this development and innovation. So joining us tonight, we have two guests. We have Lynn McNally-Schuster, who's a nurse practitioner at the James M. Cox Foundation Center for Cancer Prevention and Integrative Oncology at Banner MD Anderson Center, Cancer Center in Gilbert, Arizona. And prior to joining Banner uh, MD Anderson, Lynn spent 20 years as a hospitalist, research coordinator, and nurse. And she also completed the Integrative Medicine Fellowship at the University of Arizona. 
Also with us is Dr. Santush Rao, who is the medical oncolo- a medical oncologist and integrative oncology expert, and he's the medical director of the Integrative Medicine Clinic and Center at Banner MD Anderson Cancer Center, and he too completed the Integrative Medicine Fellowship at the University of Arizona, and his medical doctorate is from the University of Michigan. So Lynn and Dr. Rao, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. We're so excited. Absolutely. Yeah, well, I'm delighted to talk with you. I know Carolyn said she's not here with us, but uh, she'll catch the show a little bit later. So, Dr. Rao, let's start with you, and just uh, maybe let's start with kind of definitions. So, at Banner MD Anderson, how do you all define cancer survivorship? So, thanks, Lise. Um, First, just to set up uh, kind of how our cancer center is set up, we are part of Banner um, uh, Banner Health Group, but we also uh, have a strong, close connection with MD Anderson in Houston. So a lot of our definitions and how we practice cancer care is tightly uh, wound with what they do at MD Anderson in Houston, the University of Texas MD Anderson. I'd say that we typically define survivorship as um, as having somebody five years after the completion of their treatment. Um, however, uh, there's been a push to moving the definition of survivorship up. And I know with talking to patients, um, you know, some of them feel like they should be uh, categorized as a survivor as soon as their surgery is done, for example, or maybe after their chemotherapy is done. On the flip side, one of the confusing aspects is nowadays for some cancers like breast cancer, the treatment may extend to even 10 years after the diagnosis. And so then, you know, what happens after five years or what happens after 10 years, is it's kind of a, a moving um, uh, definition in terms of when somebody's done with their treatment. So I think that um, this is an area that we still have a lot of work to do to really better define what we mean by survivorship and what the goals are. Because to me, that's more important. You know, depending on the cancer you're treating, um, I think typically what we think of as survivor is somebody's cured or that, you know, now you can kind of not have to necessarily have the same um, intense uh, screening that you might have when you're first diagnosed. But that's going to be different for different types of cancer in terms of when we're comfortable saying somebody's actually cured. There are some cancers where there's a risk of recurrence even 15 years after di- after diagnosis. So I think there's a lot of different aspects to how we might define survivorship, but typically it's five years after diagnosis, and that's when we typically will set up a survivorship visit. Okay. And, yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the alternative definitions, too, because there are even some people that define survivorship the minute you're diagnosed, that, you mm-hmm. know, as soon as you, you survive one minute, you're a survivor. So, yes, very uh, um, fluid definition to be sure. So you mentioned a typical, you mentioned a survivorship visit. So, Lynn, what does a typical survivorship visit entail at, at Banner MD Anderson? So the typical survivorship visit is fairly comprehensive, especially for the first visit. Um, We develop a survivorship care plan. So we will go through the chart. um, I do this the day prior to the patient coming, and we set up the survivorship care plan, which we'll get into later. Um, And so we'll go over that with the patient, make, make sure everything's correct and that they understand everything. And then the other parts of the visit will assess for any signs or symptoms of their cancer um, reoccurring 
or for any secondary cancers. Um, so we'll ask them if they're having any new lumps or bumps anywhere, any changes in the shape or size of their breast, any bone pain or um, pain that's not being relieved by over-the-counter medication, any headaches, or just any other signs that there could be um, cancer reoccurrence. Um, then we also uh, we do any uh, lifestyle, we assess for any um, long-term or late complications such as lymphedema or any cardiac issues, any um, neuropathy, uh, and we will come up with a plan for each of those symptoms that they may be having and make referrals as needed. And then we also assess any lifestyle um, counseling that they may need. So every visit we talk about diet, we talk about um, exercise, sleep, stress management, and overall sense of spiritual connection. We also assess for tobacco use and alcohol use. And then I do a, a physical exam, a breast exam, and just general all over physical exams. We order any imaging studies if needed, any mammograms, ultrasounds, uh, DEXA scans to check for osteopenia or osteoporosis. And then we make referrals and come up with a plan for the patient to, um, that's, you know, individualized for each patient depending on what their needs are. So if they're, uh, BMI is over 25, then we'll work with them with, with um, their diet and exercise. Uh, we have a dietitian that they can meet with. We do mind-body consults. We have yoga classes. We have a psychologist and um, all different kinds of uh, clinics that we can refer them to, such as pelvic floor therapy and cancer-related fatigue. Um, Wow, that sounds like a long visit. (laughs) It is. How long is that visit? (laughs) It's over an hour. I mean, I'm slotted for an hour, but they typically take about an hour and 15 minutes. And then each patient will get a copy of the survivorship care plan, and then I send a copy to the primary care and, uh, yeah, with a letter summarizing the visit. Okay, well, we're going to... Actually, I want to ask you a little bit more about survivorship care plans, but it is time for our first break, so we will continue this conversation with Dr. Santush Rao and Lynn McNally-Schuster. We'll be right back. Hey, do you sometimes feel out of balance or irregular? Of course, we all do. It's time to get regular with Regular Girl. This exclusive powder blend of high-quality probiotics and prebiotic fiber will help you say so long to occasional diarrhea and bye-bye to constipation. And it won't cause excess gas or bloating. It's easy to use, colorless, flavorless, and mixes seamlessly with water. Visit RegularGirl.com because life is anything but regular. Get Regular Girl. That's RegularGirl.com. We are constantly being bombarded by toxins in the air we breathe, water we drink, and even the foods we eat. So what's the answer? Glutathione. It's inside every cell in your body and protects you from the damage of oxidative stress and toxins. There's a special patented form of glutathione that is superior called Cetria. Cetria is pure, vegetarian, and allergen-free. Help replenish your body's reserves of this very important nutrient, detoxified a natural way. Visit cetriaglutathione.com. That's cetriaglutathione.com.
Welcome back to Five to Thrive Live. I'm Dr. Lisa Schuler, and I'm here with my with my two guests, and we're talking about cancer survivorship. And our two guests are Lynn Schuster and Dr. Santush Rao. So, Lynn, let's go back to you. And you were just describing this uh, amazing survivorship visit that uh, your patients will go through as kind of almost an exit visit from their care. And part part of that, I think, is um, in in response, perhaps, to uh, a mandate that has come down from the Commission on Cancer, which includes providing patients with a survivorship care plan. So just to help us set the context for survivorship, because we're going to get into some of the nitty-gritty on lifestyle and things like that, but just to help us, again, set this context, can you just describe to our listeners what the survivorship care plan is? Sure. Um, so it is basically a summary of their their cancer that they have and the treatment that they received and the follow-up that needs to be um, completed to prevent their cancer from coming back and screen for other cancers. So we put all the contact information for any provider that was involved in their care, and then we do all the characteristics of the tumor, um, the site of the tumor, the stage of the tumor, the grade, uh, their hormonal status, um, any genetic workup findings if they were uh, BRCA1 or BRCA2 positive. Uh, then we'll go into the specifics of the treatment that they had. So we'll talk about the chemotherapy. Uh, the dr- we'll write down the drug name, how many cycles they had, when it was completed, And then radiation, if they had that as well, when it was uh, initiated, when it was completed, which site was irradiated, what their total dose was, and number of fractions. And then we talk about any hormonal therapy that they have, if they're on an aromatase inhibitor, if they're on tamoxifen, and then exactly what dates they were on those for. And then we also... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no. Go ahead. Then we talk about, uh, we'll actually document on here if they're having any late effects or long-term effects from their treatment and also what referrals that we're recommending. And then we talk about um, the surveillance uh, prevention recommendations. So we we talk about the DEXA scan for osteoporosis, uh, when the last one was performed, who should be ordering that, if we're going to order that, which we will most of the time, but sometimes patients would like to follow up with their primary care provider. We also talk about, um, we'll write down when their last gynecological cervical screening was, when their last colonoscopy, breast imaging, uh, skin exam, and then each time uh, we'll give them a little chart that says, okay, we're going to order this uh, for the breast imaging. However, we'd like your primary care provider to order the colonoscopy um, or the GI consult. And then we talk about just general recommendations for, for cancer prevention, maintaining a healthy weight through diet and exercise, avoiding tobacco, limiting alcohol, using sunscreen, all those sort of things. Okay. So very comprehensive. Definitely kind of a, a way to finish out their rather intensive journey through treatment to help prepare them to the next phase of survivorship. So Dr. Rao, you know, a key component of survivorship is really helping people heal, actually, from not only the cancer that they've had, but from the treatments that they've received for that cancer. So can you talk us through some of the more common, what we call after effects of treatment that survivors may experience, and maybe just give us some examples of how you address some of those after effects? Sure. I think that, you know, in the way you phrase the question also, there's kind of a different focus we start having when we start talking about survivorship is this concept of healing um, rather than treating. Mm -hmm. And I think 
you know, a lot of times when somebody is in the middle of treatment, um, we sometimes forget that aspect, but, you know, it's important for, for patients, obviously, to not only feel like they're being treated but healed. But when there's an absence of treatment, I think it's kind of uh, a little easier for us to focus on what somebody's going through and this concept of, of really healing and making one whole. And I think that um, for all of us who know people who've had cancer or have had cancer or, you know, treat patients with cancer, um, that's probably something that's very striking is that um, there's a sense of, you know, I lost something while going through this journey. Um, some people gain something in terms of insight, but, you know, physically especially and sometimes emotionally, there's a sense that I lost something. How do I, how do I get back to who I am? How do I move forward? Um, so when I think of healing and um, focusing on survivorship, I think of, you know, obviously preventing recurrence, but getting somebody back on their feet, getting somebody to be motivated to do everything they can to, uh, to move forward. Um, and then another aspect of it is, is, is as you mentioned, there are um, kind of remnants of their treatment and symptoms that they may have that persist. I think the top things that persist are fatigue. Um, mm-hmm. Now, you know, five years after treatment, people usually get over the chemotherapy-related fatigue. But, you know, a lot of times people will have chronic stress, um, and may not have gotten back to, you know, being fully functional. So I think, you know, fatigue is a major one, and we focus on exercise and stress management and sleep um, when it comes to fatigue. Sleep is uh, a common problem in uh, cancer patients and survivors, so we, I think, more often than not, will address sleep in our visits. Um, Other common symptoms, depending on the type of therapy somebody receives, neuropathy, is an unfortunate sequelae of a lot of chemotherapy. So we try to focus on that. We use acupuncture uh, very often for neuropathy. Um, stress, anxiety is very common, um, anxiety and depression. Um, anxiety about recurrence, depression, um, other stressors that uh, go along with uh, uh, a cancer diagnosis. Sometimes people have financial stress. Um, so there's a lot of uh, need for stress management, and we focus on, you know, making it personal to an individual, um, whether they prefer meditation or yoga or contemplation and prayer. Um, I would say that our yoga instructors and our integrative health psychologists are very important when it comes to stress management. Um, and then we have um, guided imagery, uh, music therapy, um, uh, essential oils we use to help people sleep, um, and some natural supplements uh, as well. Um, those are probably some of the top kind of chronic symptoms that we see when we see our survivors. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, again, have to compliment you and call you out a little bit to our listeners because you just went through a very holistic, integrative approach, and you are a medical oncologist, so you are somewhat of an anomaly still <laughs> amongst your <laughs> colleagues, but much appreciated. Sure. And, yeah, that sounds like a very comprehensive approach, and it really sounds like you focus a lot on um, people's whole person Recovery, so not just physical recovery, but you immediately extended that to their emotional, psychological, spiritual well-being, which is 
great and important to most survivors I, I've experienced for sure. And kind of along those that line, Lynn, when um, when you're helping people put together that plan and you're counseling them with, you know, about specific aspects to survivorship, in addition to all those amazingly wonderful stress management uh, components that Dr. Rao mentioned, do you focus a lot on lifestyle? You kind of alluded briefly to some of the big ones, you know, the smoking, uh, the alcohol. Dr. Rao mentioned exercise. Is that a big part of your survivorship planning? Oh, yes. It's huge. Every single visit we talk about you know, all the lifestyle issues that a patient is, you know, the choices that they make on a daily basis. I mean, the food that we're putting into our mouth, we talk about avoiding processed foods, we talk about a plant-based diet, you know, avoiding processed meats and limiting red meat, increasing lots of vegetables. I think um, if if we're eating a horrible diet and we're not exercising, then we're going to have more joint aches and pain and we're not going to sleep as well at night. And then a lot of our um, our personal, like our, our self-esteem will go down as well if we're not making healthy choices. So we do stress lifestyle, healthy lifestyle choices with every visit. And, uh, you know, just just people feeling good about themselves and making healthy choices and knowing that they're doing everything that they can do to, you know, keep the cancer from coming back. That's in their, whatever's in their control. And it does give them a sense of control, I think, overall, that there's little changes that they can make. It can be uh, quite overwhelming at times, so we usually start just with very small goals. And sometimes uh, we'll see patients, I mean, typically the survivorship visits are once a year. However, if they're having a lot of uh, problems, then I'll see them more frequently until we get some resolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, what you just said is really important, which is that doing things for yourself, making even if it's small changes in your diet and your activity levels and so forth, really do give you a sort of take back that locus of control. Because cancer can be a very overwhelming and very, um, I don't know, almost uh, over- overwhelming in the sense of experience, in the sense that people can lose their sense of autonomy. Mm-hmm. And so I think that it's really important to bring that back. And speaking of autonomy, one of the things that can persist for survivors, which I think can eat, a, eat away, bless you, eat away at, you, their, <laughs> at their ability to maintain a, a sense of ownership and, and uh, agency, as, as I like to say in their life, is this fear, this can be overwhelming fear of recurrence. And um, so, Dr. Rao, is there research, for example, or is there sort of a validity, in your opinion, about using lifestyle to actually reduce the risk of recurrence? There is. Um, there's, there's a lot of research, uh, especially in some of the better researched cancers that are more lifestyle-related. Like we think of breast cancer, prostate, and colon cancer as some of the more lifestyle-related cancers where there's more evidence for the effects of physical activity and diet. Um, And this is where we discuss this with other oncologists, and for those oncologists who treat leukemia or sarcoma, for example, um, there really isn't that kind of research where we can point to that says it makes a big difference whether somebody's eating lots of fruits and vegetables. So it becomes difficult to to really say for sure how much of a difference 
it makes. But within breast cancer, for example, there's very good evidence that gaining weight after a diagnosis is not good. Being sedentary um, increases your risk of recurrence. Um, on the flip side, if you exercise regularly, it definitely decreases your chance of recurrence. There's evidence that eating a lot of fruits and vegetables is good. There's even some evidence uh, suggesting decreased meat intake is beneficial. A lot of these things are still being worked out. I think the best evidence is for physical activity. Um, I think as a field, we're slightly behind where they are in um, cardiovascular disease. And I think that's a good, um, that's a good uh, benchmark for us is looking at comprehensive lifestyle programs and how much of a difference do we make in the realm of prevention. Uh, I'm like you, Lise. I think that, you know, um, getting people to be motivated and feeling like they have some sense of control over the chance of recurrence is probably the best way to avoid just feeling helpless. And you may still get a recurrence despite that, and that's a, a hard kind of reality of life. But um, we really try to make people um, partners with us so that... Um, you know, so that they feel like uh, they're not uh, a victim or that they're waiting for, for something to happen. Um, if you look at cardiovascular disease, um, Dean Ornish put together the Ornish program and showed a significant reduction in uh, cardiovascular risk, in cholesterol, and, um, you know, uh, other factors, just hypertension, just by changing lifestyle with uh, stress management and diet and physical activity. And there are similar studies that are being done in the realm of cancer, and I think that's kind of where we're going. You know, it's hard to study some of these things because they're complex interactions, especially when you talk about diet. And the way we do research and view research nowadays, it tends to be very bimodal, where something works or it doesn't work. And, you know, you have a control where you just change one thing and you want to see if it works. And that's not easy to, to do when you're doing dietary studies. And so I think, uh, personally, I think these kind of more um, whole regimen kind of lifestyle um, changes uh, to, to really demonstrate significant benefit from, from lifestyle um, will be where we show more, um, more of an effect. But there certainly is a lot of compelling research, especially for physical activity, and a lot of the mechanisms have been worked out. But I'd be lying to say if I didn't say that um, if you talk about it just as fact, that it wouldn't be controversial. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, the evidence is still building. Right. Yeah, and I think that's a great analogy to cardiovascular disease. It reminds me actually of a conference I was speaking at, and there was a, a really renowned expert in cardiovascular disease. And after my presentation, I listened to his, and then we got together, and we both immediately said, wow, if I, he said to me, if I just substituted the car my cardiovascular phrase in your talk, it would have made sense. And, mm -hmm. and I said, yeah, and if I just put cancer in your talk, it would have made sense. There was such a great degree of similarity between those two conditions. So not only is it a good model, but actually some of the actual interventions themselves, I think, will turn out to be, you know, have good crossover. Yeah, I think nice we're getting there. I think that that's probably, you know, this common pathway of inflammation um, and how a lot of these diseases have a lot in common. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, that we're definitely going to get there, but um, but you still have to kind of demonstrate it. Um, Absolutely. And, and, and study it separately. 
Yeah. And you also said another really important thing, which I just want to comment on, which is that even if people do all these changes, they still may get recurrence. And I think Mm -hmm. that's important. I often talk to my patient about, you know, for example, exercise for breast cancer shows in some studies up to a 60% reduction in risk, but that doesn't mean 100%. So you're still going to have some risk left no matter what you do. But even if you do get recurrence, if you've been exercising, for example, you're going to be a lot healthier going into that new adventure. <laughs> than exactly. You You'll have more stamina and, um, and yes, endurance and, and just feel better um, mentally and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, and speaking of that, Lynn, I mean, how often do you find that your survivors are, you know, like their first concern is recurrence? Is that on everybody's mind? You know, by the time we see them uh, at five years out, I think they're they're not as stressed or, or thinking about this as much as they do initially right after their, their completion of their treatment. However, definitely whenever, you know, they have any symptom, like they may call, someone may call me and say, oh, I feel a lump and we'll get them in that day and get an ultrasound and, and you know, everything, every, um, I, I think, you know, and every time before they come for their visit as well or have their mammogram, I think there's a little underlying anxiety that they have and I don't think that that fear of reoccurrence ever really goes away it just kind of gets a little bit um, you know more focused around those you know abnormal signs or symptoms when they have those or or their imaging studies um, or their visit their annual survivorship visits but um, I think it's very very common to be fearful of a reoccurrence and uh, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's. You know, we always do encourage them to talk about their fears as much as possible, and we have different support groups. We do recommend journaling and yoga and meditation. And if they are kind of obsessing over it and really, really focused on it, which sometimes does occur, then we'll have them see our um, our health psychologist here. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it's just great because you've just, first of all, normalized that, yes, it, it, it is a real thing and it's a lot of people are experiencing fear, but then you've just laid out this palette of options for people, which I think is part of the challenge. You know, people often f- get stuck in anxiety about something partly because they can't see a way out. So you've just given uh, at least the patients that are lucky enough to be at your center a really nice way to, to deal with a lot of these challenging issues, which is fantastic. So Dr. Rao, what are your some of your top lifestyle recommendations that you really like to make sure that you talk with your patients about as they're entering into this survivorship phase? Really simple. Um, you know, we recommend 30 minutes of exercise a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't obsess about what type of exercise. I certainly want people to enjoy it. Um, and, you know, it's got to be personalized for people with joint aches, for example. Yoga and swimming is good. Uh, I don't really care. I do pay more attention when somebody's obese and they need to lose weight because then I think walking is probably not enough to cut down from from that standpoint. But 30 minutes of exercise a day, five to nine servings of fruits and vegetables. Um, I am a fan of organic dairy, uh, especially for some of the hormonally sensitive cancers, so I tend to stress that. Mm -hmm. And sleep is something else. Um, A lot of people don't have good sleep, and that filters into fatigue and other things. So sleeping at least six to seven hours a night at the very least um, and then obviously smoking. 
Um, if you're smoking, we want you to stop smoking. We have a tobacco uh, recovery program, which uh, is really, uh, really in-depth that Lynn also is involved in. Um, and those are probably the top things that can help you prevent a recurrence. Yeah, fantastic. So, Lynn, I'm curious, is your answer the same to that question? I, yeah, definitely. I would, I would say, um, you know, sleep, stress management, I think, is huge. I mean, a lot of these patients, they're just, you know, they have high stress. All of us in this world, we're, we're working, we have families, and, and we're dealing with the financial stressors that occurred from our, you know, the cancer treatment, which can linger on forever and cause, you know, lifelong stress. And um, the stress and fear of reoccurrence, as we, you know, just discussed. But, yeah, I would definitely say those. Also, um, minimizing alcohol as well. I do recommend that, you know, to no more than a couple drinks per week if they have a history of breast cancer or one drink per day um, if you're a woman and two drinks per day if you're a man are the American Cancer Society recommendations. But we typically bring it down to even just one or two per week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, so lots of lots of areas that people can really gain some control and ownership in their life and make some positive changes. And um, you know, in your experience Dr. Rao, how how um quickly, I guess for lack of a better word, do you see people really take on the cuz you alluded in the very beginning to how cancer can be a bit of a transport transformative experience. Do you see that transformation coming through the treatment itself or does it sort of come on afterwards after people are done with the chemo and the radiation the surgeries etc um i think it's different everybody's different uh i'll say that um some people are just in shock when they first get diagnosed and we do so much depending on the cancer you know it's like you're going through this and that and the other and so people um, often at the beginning can't even process it and are having a lot of symptoms and they're just trying to get through it. So I don't tend to focus as much on these lifestyle related things when somebody's really going through treatment. We just want to get them through and make sure there's no serious consequences or mm-hmm. side effects, etc. So I would say most of this kind of focus is after treatment. Um, now, there are people who are focused on this right from the beginning, and they don't want to lose a step, and um, I'm always uh, impressed by people who can keep their focus on their health while they're going through treatment. But the common thing is, you know, somebody gets through treatment, and then afterwards they say, okay, how do I get back to the things I like to do? How do I get back to having my body back and, you know, having sex or whatever it is? Um, mm-hmm. You know, that tends to be something that, you know, can't, be the focus while somebody's got so much on their plate, you know, and, and I don't tend to stress people out by telling them that you, you need to sleep more when they're getting chemo and they may be really going through ups and downs um, hormonally and with all the stuff we give them. So I'd say that it tends to be more of a focus and I even help them focus on doing this later and, you know, not obsess about, you know, what they're eating specifically um, while they're going through treatment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enough on their plate. That makes sense. And Lynn, what do you, since you're really picking these people up after they've been out in the world past their treatment uh, for a time period, what do you find that, and this is a bit of generalization, of course, but that people mm-hmm. tend to struggle with the most? I would definitely say maintaining a healthy weight. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, a lot 
I mean, there's some patients that are at a very healthy weight, you know, at the time of their diagnosis and throughout their treatment, they don't have a problem. But the majority of patients with breast cancer and survivorship, a lot of them have problems keeping their, their BMI less than 25. And there's so many, I think there's so many diets out there. It can get overwhelming. I mean, they, you know, they come in, they want to do like HCG or, uh, you know, should they do the, the paleo diet? You know, there's so many different options out there. Take this supplement. You know, they always have questions about different ways that they can lose weight when really, you know, I think it just really comes down to, you know, eating your vegetables, getting your exercise in, eating the, the healthy proteins and, and um, yeah, but it, it is, I mean, there's, there's uh, emotional aspect to it as well. So it, it is, and, and it's tied to sleep also. So really it's tied to so many of our lifestyle choices that we make, exercise and things we put in our mouth. So I think it, that's definitely the hardest um the biggest challenge that I see with my patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with you, actually. I think that's a tremendously difficult issue, particularly for breast cancer patients because many of the hormonal treatments that they're on actually have weight gain as a side effect. So, And they've, if they've been young when they diagnose, they're thrust into menopause pretty quickly, mm-hmm. and that creates hormonal havoc. So it can mm-hmm. be quite challenging indeed, despite doing all the right things. Exactly. So something to work on for sure. Well, we're going to uh, take our next break and when we come back I have some some good questions I've written down I want to ask these two so stay with us and we'll be right back let's face it life is anything but regular that's why I love regular girl powdered probiotic and fiber formula It's all-natural, gluten-free, and non-GMO. It's flavorless, colorless, and easily mixes with my favorite beverage. I can even sprinkle it on food. It not only keeps me regular, it helps me feel full longer, which helps control cravings. And I don't get gassy or bloated after taking it like I did with other fibers. But don't take my word for it. Check it out at RegularGirl.com. That's RegularGirl.com. Are you interested in boosting your brain power? So am I. This is Carolyn Gazella, co-host of 5 to Thrive Live, and I'm here to tell you about a supplement that I take. The human brain needs a lot of nutrition to stay focused throughout the day. Citicoline naturally enhances energy-producing centers within the brain. Cognizant delivers a clinically tested, patented form of citicoline that supplies your brain with the energy it needs to stay sharp. Look for Cognizant on the label, or for more information, visit Cognizant.com. That's Cognizant.com. Welcome back to 5 to Thrive Live. I'm Dr. Lisa Schuler, and I'm joined by my two guests, Dr. Santush Rao and Lynn McNally-Schuster. They are both with, uh, with us from MD Anderson Banner Oncology, and they're talking about their really quite fantastic integrative oncology program, and we're focusing specifically on some of the issues related to survivorship, which is a new phase, new sort of new term to describe a, a phase of the cancer continuum, a very important one at that, hopefully a very long one too. Um, 
So, you know, Dr. Rao, one of the questions that I get asked a lot by my patients who um, I'm seeing, so, you know, keep in mind that I'm naturopathically in trained and so they're obviously getting integrative therapies from me and they're often seeing an oncologist whom they may really respect and like for the conventional therapy side of things but they find it very difficult to talk to their oncologist about what they're doing from an integrative perspective and I'm wondering if you have any suggestions about how patients can talk to their oncologists about what's important to them in this more holistic sense and then Maybe you could also just say, you know, gosh, if they can't, do, you know, how do they sort of find an oncologist who would be more open-minded? So it's sort of a two-part question. Yeah, I think it's tough. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of straddle both sides of the fence, um, so to speak. And I think things have changed, first of all, a lot, where people are more open-minded um, to discussing and, and really incorporating naturopaths in the treatment plan and the team. Um, and uh, and then some of the therapies and being more knowledgeable about them. But each oncologist, for example, is going to be different in how they view these things. I think the most important thing, and so, you know, it's it's hard to have one generalization of who's going to be open and who's not. I think the most important thing is, um, is to make sure that there's good communication. Um, what you don't want to do as a patient is just kind of do your own thing. And um, that is kind of what the whole purpose of us doing this integrative oncology and having an integrative oncology is all about. We understand that a lot of the oncologists don't understand all the aspects of some of these, you know, natural supplements and when to do certain modalities, and that's why we exist, so that we can help patients screen out what might be safe and unsafe and the timing. And we don't expect all our oncologists to necessarily know what's safe and what's not. So I, I will say that, you know, there's, there's that aspect to it as well, that sometimes you need more help to coordinate some of these um, uh, team members in the healthcare team, including the naturopath and the oncologist. But um, I think that it's important to have that conversation. You know, uh, as an oncologist, sometimes we're very busy. We're focused on other things like a CAT scan or you know, blood counts and things like that. But you still have to disclose what you're doing and make sure that um, people are comfortable. Um, you know, I will say that while a lot of oncologists may not understand a lot about nutrition, for example, and some of these other things, that doesn't mean that they're not knowledgeable about, um, you know, various aspects of uh complementary therapies and, and, and other things. And so it's very important to make sure that everybody's on the same page. I will say that. Um, and, and then, you know, developing a good relationship. If, an, if, if I was a patient and I wanted to do therapies and my oncologist said, you know, I'm really not comfortable, you know, then it would be up to me to determine how important that relationship is or if I need to find somebody who is, um, you know, perhaps matches my vision of how I want my care to go. I think that's important. But yeah. on the flip side, um, you have to be, you know, it, it's a two-way street. You have to tell the, the, the oncologist what you're doing so that they feel like they have a complete understanding. And like I said, it would be, um, I think, in my mind, naive to think that the oncologist doesn't care or doesn't know anything about these things, you know. Um, and in my experience, it's not usually a big issue. Um, you know, I work in this cancer center, but we get referrals from just about every oncologist here. 
And um, as I've grown in this field, um, I am in communication with uh, people from around the country, really, um, who are not integrative oncologists, but just general oncologists or oncologists at academic institutions. And they're certainly interested in talking about these things. The issue is not that they don't want to talk about it. It's just that they may have a different view and a different um, bar in terms of what should be included and what shouldn't be included. And it's not necessarily that they're on another side. It's just that they may have, uh, they may be more skeptical, for example. And that's okay, too. And so I think it's, it's just important uh, to have that conversation. Most of our colleagues refer to us regularly. So even if they may not have time or the expertise, they want patients to be talking to somebody and getting uh, an expert opinion on what they should be doing and, and what's reasonable to include and what not. They don't just say no. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that all sounds really very logical and um, ironically somewhat ideal in the sense that, you know, what the way you've just positioned that to have this open dialogue is is really great. There's so many constraints that prevent that from happening in a lot of situations, whether it's time, focus, lack of knowledge, prejudices on either side or whatever. But I think that your call to action to really you know, encourage people to start the dialogue, to create as much opportunity to have that dialogue is, is important. And I would agree with you. I've seen, I mean, really surprising responses when oncologists are given the opportunity to respond to these things. There's often a, a more openness than would be expected. So I think that that's, phew, that's a good good change we're seeing in the world of medicine. <laughs> and I think uh-huh. that, you know, these kind of, you know, our, our relationship, for example, you know, it, it's, it's a sign that, you know, people can come together. You know, one of the things I respect about you is that you really, really understand the science about what you're talking about. And to me, that's the common language is, you know, people may have a different philosophy when it comes to how to treat patients, and that's fine. But, you know, the science should be a common language. And I think as we learn more and we apply the science and we're not so rigid in how we view things, where we're okay with talking about certain, you know, natural supplements, or on the naturopathic side, we're okay saying, you know, look, I think you need immunotherapy. There's good evidence for that. I think that, you know, that's when things will come together um, and make more sense. Uh, and, right. and, then, and then everybody will be on the same page. Uh, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, absolutely. So, Lynn, you know, I've just given you a magic wand, and you get to wave your wand and change the future of cancer survivorship. What, what looks different? I do agree that it should start at the time of diagnosis. I mean, we should kind of start talking about these things. I mean, maybe not quite the in-depth, but just kind of getting the ball rolling earlier rather than later. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I definitely, like a lot of times when our patients come to our, our clinic, they're like, oh, my gosh, I wish I would have been referred here years ago because mm-hmm. this would have really helped me out during my treatment or this could have, you know, really helped me out in these past few years. Um, so, yeah, so I think just really starting everything earlier would just be and, and getting everyone on board, um, you know, getting the different oncologists. Maybe they don't have time to do that counseling, but, you know, seeing it as a need and a priority for the patients, and um, and yeah, just communicating it and and 
realizing that there are lifestyle choices, things we can do to prevent our risks of our cancer coming back or um, developing new cancers. Yeah, that's great. You know, I'm in a generous mood tonight, so I've just passed the wand to you, Dr. Rao. Mm -hmm. What's in your future of cancer survivorship? Yeah, I agree with Lynn. I think uh, think getting in earlier um, would be really helpful. Um, I think the other issue that comes up is kind of where does this fit in and, you know, um, not every cancer patient sees uh, a survivor, you know, practitioner. Um, you know, once you're in that phase, if you're in the right center, maybe you're going to see a survivor. Otherwise, you're going to see a primary care doctor. And so part of it is um, disseminating this information and making it uh, available to the patient. You know, um, in our center, Lynn is primarily the person who sees our survivors, but we're going to have more more help. Um, but, you know, we probably can't see everybody. And so I think the bulk of our patients who finish with their oncologist, they end up going back into the community and seeing their primary care doctors. And so I think a lot of the stuff we're talking about, it, um, it, it has to be discussed and hopefully embraced by, um, by primary care doctors, and that patients should have um, as much information as they can so that they can take this forward. You know, Absolutely. but if we as, as cancer centers can give them that knowledge while they're here and earlier, I think that'll um, that'll really give them a head start. Mm-hmm. Well, I like your vision, your collective vision. I am so delighted that you guys are doing what you're doing for people diagnosed with this disease. And Lynn, where can people find out more about Banner MD Anderson? They can go to our website. It is www.bannerhealth.com forward slash banner, that's B-A-N-N-E-R, dash, MD dash Anderson, A N D E R S O N, forward slash services, forward slash B M D A C C dash integrative dash oncology. It's a long one, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so, and the reason that you've given us that whole link, which people can uh, listen to again and, and uh, get down, um, is because your website is currently under construction. So once that's done, though, people can just go to what, www? They can go to Banner, MD Anderson, and type in integrative oncology, and that should get them okay. there. Great. Well, what a great resource. So people uh, uh, definitely should check that out. Encourage anybody who's looking for oncology services to uh, at least include that in your choice options. This has been a wonderful show. show. Thank you so much, Dr. Rao and Lynn, for joining us. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. We'll have to have you guys back to talk more about your great work. Next week, we have another one of our favorite guests. We have Rebecca Katz joining us. She's a best-selling author. She's a culinary expert, and she's going to be sharing some of her summer salad recipes and tips for us, so with a nice, healthy uh, way to start our July. So you don't want to miss that show with Rebecca Katz. That's next week. And in the meantime, uh, please check out our new website at ithriveplan.com. You can learn more about our cancer survivorship app that will soon be available. And we hope that you enjoy the rest of your evening. May you experience joy, laughter, and love. It is time to thrive. Have a great night, everyone. Good night.